as a kid when I grew up, whenever I heard the word church, I pictured a building, I pictured an hour on Sunday. However, as I grew up, as I began to open up the Bible and begin to see what the Bible says is the church, I began to realize the church is so much more than a building. It's so much more than just an hour on Sunday. In fact, Scripture says that you, we, are the church. As followers of Jesus, we're defined by Him. And this church is so much bigger than what you see. In fact, as a church family, we gather on Sundays and we scatter throughout the week. And we have people joining us online right now who are part of this church. And we're part of a, a global church that is connected in such amazing ways. We have a member of our church family, Eric Jackson, who he and his wife happen to be here in the service today. And a member of our church who we sent out as a missionary. And he's doing some tremendous work in Asia. Uh, with some uh, people groups that in minority languages doing phenomenal work. And if you know the Jacksons at all, and if you've been following their ministry, you can see them after the service. You can say hi to them. And as Pastor Kim shares these announcements, it's an invitation for you to not only get connected, but to be the church. And we don't just come and gather and just take in what happens from up front, but we really get to see that as we worship together, as we grow together, and as we give back together... God's calling every single one of us to be part of what God is doing. In fact, as we get to this passage of Scripture in Exodus, you're going to quickly see that it's going to take every single one of them to accomplish what was accomplished. And in the same way, it's going to take every single one of us to accomplish what God wants to accomplish. Why don't you open up your Bibles to Exodus 15. And if you have a Bible with you, that's great. Exodus 15, I'm going to read verses 1 through 21. Uh, the red book in front of you in the pews is a pew Bible. If you don't own one, take it with you. We would rather have it open and speaking truth in your life than it's sitting here in the pews. So if you take it, you're not stealing from the church. It's yours. We want you to have it. We'll replace it as quickly as you can take it. We believe in the power of God's Word. And if you're joining us online, if you need a Bible, let us know. Uh, you'll see some video clips throughout today's service that can tell you how to take next steps. Please take us up on that because we believe that God created us for community. And as we follow Jesus, we get to do so together every day and everywhere with everyone. Now that you've got those Bibles open, I want you to open up something else. Keep those Bibles open, but open up your bulletin. If it was handed to you, there's a postcard inside that bulletin. That postcard is... One of our commissioned pieces of art by Scott Erickson. He's known online as Scott the Painter. Many of you follow him on Instagram and social media. He's out of Portland, Oregon. And he is giving us as a, uh, an amazing starting point every single week in this sermon series an opportunity for you to have a Christ-centered conversation with somebody in your life that isn't yet part of Beller Church. So it's formatted like a postcard. The USPS, the, USPS, the post service will take it. You can put a Post a postage note on it. You can send it. Some of you have been doing that. Many of you have, actually, to friends, to coworkers, to family members. Some of you are using as people come over to your home to have conversations with. But you'll notice on the back some questions that can be a prompt, a starting point for you to have some of those conversations. Now, as we get to this text, let me just say this. This is the first song in Scripture. The very first song. And as I read Exodus 15, verses 1 through 21, we're going to pick up where we left off last week as we head in the future together. Exodus 15, 1. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord... 
for he has triumphed gloriously. Horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my might. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father is God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he cast into the sea. His picked officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrew your adversaries. You sent out your fury. It consumed them like stubble. The blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up, the floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. But you blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord? Among the gods, who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in splendor, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. In your steadfast love, you led the people whom you redeemed. You guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples heard, they trembled. Pangs seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom were dismayed. Trembling seized the Leaders of Moab, all the inhabitants of Canaan melted away. Terror and dread fell upon them. By the might of your arm, they became still as a stone until your people, O Lord, passed by, until the people whom you acquired passed by. You brought them in and planted them on the mountain of your own possession, the place, O Lord, that you made your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, that your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. When the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his chariot drivers went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then the prophet Miriam, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand. And all the women went out with her with tambourines and with dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Horse and rider, he has thrown into the sea. This, my friends, is the reading of God's Word. Thanks be to God. Some of us knew to say thanks be to God after I said this is the reading of God's Word. Some of us were like, oh, I'm supposed to say something? Because that's the reality of how we learn things, Right? We don't show up into a moment in a group setting, especially for the first time, knowing exactly what to do or what to say. And we're going to get into this first song of Scripture. And yes, I could spend weeks on what they sang, but I can't do that. Got a little bit of time. I, I could spend weeks, in fact, talking about how uh, what they sang was theologically accurate how what they sang was in response to what God had just done. Uh, I could spend weeks talking about how what they sang was all about who God is, not their feeling, not their perspective, not just kind of this intellectual searching. I, I, I could spend weeks talking about how their entire focus was on God in their words. 
It wasn't on themselves. It wasn't on their circumstance. I, I could spend weeks talking about how all these things really guide us in what we sing and what we say and how we worship, but I'm not going to do that. I don't want to focus today just on what they sang, but that they sang in the first place. Both are key. And I hope that you leave hungry, wanting to dive in deeper to what they sang. I hope that you choose before your head hits the pillow to open this back up and really reflect on how focused they were on the nature of who God is and how that reoriented them in the midst of their rescue. I hope that you would, even after the service, that you would join those pop-up conversations, that you would have discussions with one another. But today in our little bit of time that we have, I want to focus on the fact that they sang. That they sang one song. That this is before the age of hymnals. Moses didn't get up and say, <clears throat> page 342 in your hymnal. This is long before the age of YouTube. Where you can kind of like prepare for what the song is going to be before you show up in the public setting. I was at a wedding last night up in Santa Barbara. It was amazing. I talked to this one person who said, I'm looking for the dance floor because I've been watching on YouTube some dance moves. So I am ready. And I'm looking at her. She's like in her 80s. I'm like, yes, this is amazing. I love this. You see, you've got to understand, and I want to press into this fact that here, the nation of Israel, and if you haven't been with us through this sermon series, it's been absolutely phenomenal as a reminder in these last eight weeks the quick overview is this, is that God sees and hears the, the cry and the oppression of his people. They've been enslaved for 430 years in Egypt. So God does something about it. He shows up to a man named Moses at the age of 80. And he appears to him in a personal way in a bush consumed but not burning up in fire. And the first thing that he says is not do this or do that or this is who I am. He says, Moses. Moses, I know you. I know how imperfect you are. I know you killed a man. I know that you stutter. And yet in your imperfection, my perfect love is going to flow through you, and I want you to be my mouthpiece, to go to Pharaoh and to say, let my people go. And the amazing thing is that he went with Aaron, his brother, his help. And they confronted the power structures at the time. And in that day, there was this view of many gods, of which Pharaoh was the most powerful god of all in the flesh. And we see that God challenges, goes toe-to-toe with those gods through the plagues. And at the very end of all of that, finally, Pharaoh lets God's people go. Scripture says that perhaps upwards of a million people, maybe more, we don't know the exact number, now flee Egypt. And as we got into it last week, they got to the edge of the Red Sea. Hundreds of chariots are barreling down upon them, and God does a miraculous thing, and they are now guided through, led through the sea as on dry ground, and people follow. And if you missed any of those sermons, you can catch up. You can go online. You can download our app, Beller Church. You can go to iTunes, and you can listen to those messages. But we get to this place right now that they're just on the other side, perhaps over a million people, and it says that Moses and all the Israelites sang one song. That they sang is so significant. 
And I want to press in, how did that logistically happen? You see, on one hand, it would make sense if they got through and there was hundreds of thousands of songs that people personally were singing. God, thank you. I'm just, I'm overwhelmed at your goodness. And yet, there was one song that was recorded. How did that happen? And this is long before internet, long before bullhorns, long before a sound system. Moses wasn't up front saying, okay, I'm going to take you through verse 1. You ready? Think about this. Over a million people singing one song. Logistically, how is that possible? And when you can begin to allow your mind to consider that, I hope it changes how you view Sundays when we gather and worship. You see, on one hand, it required people with gifts to see what God had just done. I mean, all the language, what they sang was what they just experienced. It took people with gifts to connect lyrics with the truth of who God is. I don't know if it was Moses. I actually doubt that it was Moses who wrote that song. I believe that there was perhaps some anonymous person, group, I don't know. One of the many questions I have for God. But somebody used their gifts to create music, to create lyric. And others used their gifts to lead others in worship. You see, it required people to hear the words and to pass it on to somebody else. And I want you to catch this because this is so counterintuitive. This is so different than what many Americans experience every Sunday or whenever they gather on a Sunday, whether it's once a year or once a quarter when they gather and worship because we often think that it's the people up front that are worshiping and we kind of just kind of like consume it. I remember uh, growing up, and every once in a while, I would hear a pastor, and even, when, gosh, when I went through college and even as a young adult, I often heard the pastor preaching, and he would say something like this. He'd say, you know, the importance of church is kind of like a gas station. You know, you go through your week, you get drained, but you come here to fill your tank up so you can go into the rest of your week without running out of gas. But you got to come back next week. Or else you're going to run out, you're going to peter out, you're going to, you're, going to, you're going to burn out, so come back next week. And on one hand, that's true, but it's a lot more than that. Now, this is going to require some vulnerability, and I love the fact that we're a church, we're, we're courageous with one another, we're willing to be honest. How many of you, show of hands, showed up this morning, whether you're online or in person, and you didn't feel like singing? Put those hands up really high. You are leading the church right now. Scripture says that we're supposed to be honest with our emotions. Scripture says that we're supposed to speak truth. Scripture says that we're not supposed to just show up and, and put on masks. And yet our culture out there really affects our culture in here to be people that show up, oh, yeah, I can't wait to worship. Not really. How was your week? I'm fine. I'm great. It was awful. If we can't be safe here, if we can't be real with one another here, if we can't be honest with our emotions in here, where else 
can we do it? God has called his people to be real with one another, and I, I don't want to guarantee, but I'm guessing, I'm wondering if there was at least one Israelite that day that didn't feel like singing. I mean, consider this for a moment. They've just been uprooted from their home. They are not yet at the promised land. They are in this land in between, in the wilderness, pre-REI. There's no tents like we've got tents today. There's no sleeping bags like sleeping bags today. They, they, they left in a rush. They left in a hurry. They were refugees. I want you to imagine perhaps what you've seen in newspapers, in the news, maybe some of you perhaps in person. I want you to picture a displaced people group fleeing a war-torn country. I've only seen that in person once. That image in my mind, I, I can't undo. It, it is seared into my brain. I was in Uganda. There was people fleeing the Sudan. Heartbreaking. Over a million people in the wilderness. It's amazing not only what they sang, but that they sang. One song. I imagine some didn't feel like singing and some had to say, wait, what was the lyric? What, what, what was that? You see, it required some of them, even if they didn't feel like singing, to be led. And I got to tell you, sometimes I sit there in the front pew and I don't feel like singing. And if the senior pastor of this church doesn't always feel like singing... I hope that you can be honest with yourself sometimes and say, you know, me too. I, I don't feel like it. And I got to tell you, in those days when I'm sitting over there, the last thing I feel like doing is this, and it's not just the 11, it's also the 8.30, it's also the 6 p.m., whatever the reason is, whether it's a day or a week or a season, the last thing I want to do, sometimes I open up my eyes and I'm not even singing and I look at you all. And here's the amazing thing is that I know some of your stories. I don't know all of your stories. It's a fascinating vantage point to be a pastor. Frankly, I don't really wish it on people. <laughs> on one hand, you have front row seats to the most amazing, significantly eternal events that humans can ever experience. That's amazing. Amazing. I mean, it's, it's, I can't even wrap into words how it's such a gift. It's so humbling. And equally as real is the messiest things you could ever even, you can't even imagine it unless you've gone through it. And the heartache and the sorrow and the loss and the betrayal and the bitterness And I get little windows sometimes into some of the stuff that you go through. And I show up, 
and I've got to have it all together that the world says, which thankfully I don't. But I look out and I see some of you and I say, wow, they're worshiping right now. And I know a little bit of what they're going through. How is that possible? Wow, if they can be singing, maybe I can sing too. Because the Israelites, what they sang wasn't how they felt, which was probably a whole host of emotions. What they sang was this truth that undergirded everything. God, this is who you are. God, this is what you've done. There's even a word that's used in that song of what they sang, and it's the word glory. You've heard me say before that the Hebrew word for glory is the word heaviness or weight. Basically, what it means when we give glory to God, we are giving God more weight than anything else. They were saying, God, your perspective and your voice and who you are is weightier than anything else in life, that your voice is louder than anything else, that even if I don't feel like singing, no matter what circumstances we're going through in the wilderness, God, I'm going to give you glory, and I'm going to be part of the gravitational pull of the reality of who you are, not just my circumstances. Because I can get pulled into worry. Maybe some of you can get pulled into bitterness, or this isn't working out how I want. We get stuck in the gravitational pull of those things. I deserve this. They should have done this. We get locked in the orbit of those things. And when we come together, and especially on a Sunday, when we are around other people that are praising God, it can shift our orbit. You see, what's so significant as I look at this text, this story, is that they sang one song together. People who felt like singing, people who didn't feel like singing. And in the midst of that, it required people to not only learn the song, but to share it with others, to teach other people. So yes, it's true on one hand that when you show up on a Sunday, you're going to get filled up in only the ways that God can fill you up in community. But here's another truth, and this is where it pushes past that metaphor of church is just a gas station to fill yourself up. God wants to use you in somebody else's life. And when you don't show up, yes, you miss out on what God can do in you, but even perhaps as important, maybe even more important, this church misses out on your gifts. This church misses out on your presence. This church is going to miss ways that you can't even understand right now in this moment. It could be as simple as just being friendly to somebody. It could be as simple as you seeing somebody in tears and just come alongside them and say, I have no idea what you're going through, but God does. It could be as simple as the littlest things. You probably had no idea that you moved me out of a, I don't want to sing, to a, wow, I get to sing because of how you were worshiping. You see, it's amazing, not only what they sang, but that they sang in the per first place. And it was men and women who were leading it. That's what I love about Scripture. You know, in a world where we are just about to explode when it comes to gender issues, what I love about Scripture is it says, right from the get-go, God says, this is how I want you to live. 
And what I love about Scripture is that God affirms women in such a beautiful way, in such countercultural ways. In Exodus 15, I read it earlier, you can read it again, but Miriam is listed as one who sings to all the Israelites and she leads women in worship. And you've got to know in the Exodus story that it is women who save the day. It was a woman who rescued Moses who rescued the nation of Israel. Without Pharaoh's daughter, what would have happened to Moses? What would have happened to the nation of Israel? What were the names of those two women, the S&P? Shifra and Pua, an amazing duo of women who were named while the elders of Israel weren't, while so many other male leaders weren't. It's absolutely incredible. And we find ourselves in this place looking at this amazing truth, not only what they sang, but that they sang. And I can take a step back for a moment, and here's where my mind goes to. And I want you to follow me here. My mind goes to another wilderness experience. A wilderness experience that made this Exodus wilderness experience pale in comparison. You see, when God showed up in the flesh as God the Son, Jesus from Nazareth, he lived the perfect life filled with truth and grace embodying love and mercy and forgiveness. And when Jesus went to the cross, not as a victim, but by choice, he said a number of things from the cross. And what he said, every single thing that Jesus said from the cross was a quotation from Scripture. Did you know that? What he said was so significant. The first thing he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is Psalm 22.1. The last thing Jesus says on the cross, it is finished. It is completed. It is done. Which happens to be the last verse in Psalm 22. Did you know that Psalm 22 wasn't something that you said? Psalm 22 was something that you sang. What Jesus said on the cross was significant. That he sang it in his wilderness. The physical pain on the cross, the spiritual reality of going in our place before the judgment and the wrath of God out of love do you have any idea that there's a lot of clues in Scripture that say that Jesus sings on the cross? And when I consider that, that Jesus, in that wilderness moment, chose to sing, gosh, when I reorient my mind to that, it melts my heart. It makes me want to follow Jesus. It makes me say, Jesus, I, I want your spirit to help me do that in my wilderness moments because sometimes I don't feel like singing. I want to sing. But I want to sing the truth of who you are. I want to be real and acknowledge my hurt, my frustration, my lack of understanding. 
And that's what I love in Scripture, that that's not the only song in Scripture. And as we open up God's Word, as we see the whole breadth of song and worship in Scripture, we get this, this leading, this prompting of how God can guide us in ways in the midst of our wilderness experiences. i got to tell you, church, there's a national trend that we can buck. The national trend is that people are attending church less and less and less and less frequently. They used to come three times a month. Now they come once every three years. They come once every six months. And I'm telling you, in my, in my experience, when I miss, I miss out. But there's another truth that when I miss, others miss out. And we pray that you would take the next step to get more connected in this church family. There's so many ways in which you can get connected. But this church needs you. It needs your imperfections. It needs your questions. It needs your strengths. It needs the fullness of how God has wired you. We can be the church that God calls us to be. And I'm telling you, there's such significant importance when we gather together in the name of Jesus. So one last thing I want to say as I, I dipped into speaking about men and women. Uh, in the last month, we've had quite a few people come forward sharing their Me Too stories, men and women. And we really believe that we as the church need to be on the front lines to be the best resource in all of society. And so it's not in your bulletin right now, uh, but if you, ladies, have or know someone in your life that has their own Me Too story, we have a workshop coming up. It's on November 1st. It's a Thursday night from 7.30 to 9 p.m. And it's going to be run by a great psychologist who we know very well, Dr. Susan Harper Slate. And we're doing something for the men. We're lining that up. We just don't have a date yet. But we as the church, we need to be the ones that are on the front lines of showing the world what it's like to follow Jesus. Those, those Israelites were in the wilderness and it ended with, God, you reign, you are Lord forever and ever and ever. In that moment, in the wilderness, they had arrived spiritually. Physically, they've got a long way to go. But spiritually, they were in the promised land. In that moment, they knew who God was. They were worshiping God. That was a picture of God's kingdom. And that's what God wants for us today. We live in this land in between. The ways in which we are enslaved in this world and the absolute freedom that Christ is one day going to lead us to, but we live in this middle place where Jesus says, I want you to pray. God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven that people would experience Jesus as King, as Lord, as Savior. We get to do this as a church family. I'm honored that you lead me in worship on a regular basis. Thank you. Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you for this moment, this little story that we find in Scripture that has so much meaning. Would it open up our hearts to consider the importance of being part of something bigger than ourselves? God, as we are around people that praise, would it transform us into a people of praise? that we would be part of, God, what you are doing, not only on this campus, but in this city and around the globe. God, we love you. Jesus, we thank you. Holy Spirit, guide us. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray, and we say together, amen.